Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. and Lisa of igotout.org. Thank you so much, ladies, for dropping into MindShift Podcast. Oh, it's a delight. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to both of you because obviously I've seen you. I think we met up on Twitter is where we first started kind of interacting with each other. Then I checked out your site and I thought, okay, this is something that I can certainly get behind because talking about leaving religion, telling your stories. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And I'm sure we'll get into the actual site and what it's all about maybe a bit later on does that sound like a good idea yeah absolutely okay great well since we've never met before we've talked a little bit before we hit record but who wants to go first so we talked about okay sharing our stories maybe we can kind of introduce ourselves to the listeners i don't know who wants to go first but if you're interested to kind of tell your story and how you got here that might be a good place to start go for it Liz. Yeah, um, I got out of a small uh, new age self-help group five years ago, uh, January 1st, 2016. And when I left my group, my thinking is I never wanted to have anything to do with therapy or cults or spirituality or anything ever again. And I set about to creating my new life. I was in for 30 years. The group that I was in was, like I said, a small new age group. When we started, when I first got in at 19 years old, the leader was teaching a lot of classes. And these were nutrition classes, breath work classes, a lot of his work centered around what's called rebirthing, which is about processing your birth trauma to have a more healthy, creative, fulfilling life to get mm. over whatever. We used right. affirmations. It all medit- yeah. Affirmations, meditation. He taught uh, massage classes, prosperity classes, relationship classes. So all of these things, and there was a lot of people at the time when we got started probably 40 people at a time would show up for these classes. And that went on for about a year. And then he decided to form a support group, which was a group of dedicated people who wanted to like put more effort into this the new way of living that we were creating. And I was uh, at 19 years old when I met him. I was a single mom without a high school education. Uh, I dropped out early because I got pregnant and whole lot of other history before that. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, I ended up staying through many changes that happened in the group over that time. And the group became, and his work became more insular 
and smaller. He stopped teaching classes. We became the support group and we started investing in properties and doing a lot of travel. And I think now that I'm away from it, I think that he was, he's a very smart man. He was able to observe a lot of the new age communities that were popping up at the late 80s and 90s and where they were making their mistakes and having trouble, he wanted to just kind of make his shtick very small. Mm-hmm. By the time I left with the man that I had brought in 10 years earlier, we split. And when we left, we left with basically just ourselves. I left everything at the group, everything that I had invested in the group. And yeah, we left behind maybe four people plus the leader. So it was (laughs) a very, very small group. Now it's, there's, there's just a few true believer people that have made it their lives, which is where I was at. And now I'm not. (laughs) So would you say now looking back on it, was it a cult in sort of the classical sense of the word? Would you describe it as such? Absolutely. Right. What, what, what would make it a cult in your point of view now? Well, all of the controls that were in place in my life, mm-hmm. I, I had no other life besides the group. Right. It was all consuming, sort of the, was all the consuming. Yeah, undue influence sort of model. Well, I was unable to, I mean, all through the time that I was there, uh, we would, of course, have people from the outside view us and say things about us being a cult you know no we're just an intentional community of people living a new way of a new lifestyle and you don't know what you're talking about Mm. before i left there are a few incidences that kind of created cracks and i had i don't remember what my search was but i found the term on the internet high demand group I came across an article from Colleen Russell and read this article probably at least half a dozen times as I'm starting to just kind of grasp the concept that high demand group and cult are the same thing. Just Mm -hmm. one's a more alarming word and another one was a little more approachable. And once I was able to embrace those three words, high demand group, and look at how my life is run by this man. It hit all the markers, basically, huh? It was like, okay, yeah. I might be in a cult. I might be in a cult. I might be in a cult. And that's certainly um, one of the markers, isn't it? I can't remember who said it might be Dr. Yanya Lalich in her book, Take Back Your Life, but she says that when other people call your group a cult, that might be a sign that, wait a minute. And if you're defending, we're not a cult, as you say, right. other people, are uh, uh, groups are cults. We're not a cult. There's no, right. no question about it. No, I can go through, I, I loved her book. It was one of the ones that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can go through Stephen Hassan's bite model and check all the boxes. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> so. that's another classic one, isn't it? Exactly. So true. So you got out of a cult. So you're trying to now essentially rebuild your identity. Is that kind of the journey you're on post this group? Right. So Clint 
one of the things that happened when I got out is I realized as a 19-year-old with no skills going into this group, you know, over the years, I took on more and more responsibility in the house and I did all the food prep or a, a large majority of the food, the inventory, the housekeeping, all of these things. I had a cleaning business when I met him, but, you know, my work really centered around those types of domestic mm -hmm. Yeah, the housekeeping and all the rest of it. Things. Yeah. And so in any time that I wanted to learn something else or venture out of that lane, I was shut down. It was really important that my uh, life stayed in its little compartment. So when I got out, all of a sudden, it's like, what the hell am I going to do with myself? And, right. You've invested you know, all these years doing the same thing, basically, isn't it? You got right. no other marketable skills. That's a classic cult thing too, isn't it? You get yes. out after X number of years and you've got no true job skills to land work other than what right. you did for the cult. Right. So, right. you know, in inside the group, I was able to develop my photography skills kind of on the sneak. Mm -hmm. And so I am a photographer. And uh, since I got out, I started building websites and uh, learning through Squarespace how to build a website. And so I got out.org is probably the sixth or seventh website that I've built. Yeah, it's just been awesome to get to learn all these new things. <laughs> a whole new life. That is an amazing story. I'm sure we'll come back and touch base on what, where you're at now. But now what about Jurette? Where, what's your story? I was in a, a new agey kind of self-help group for 18 years. And through that time, I was, you know, I had a child. I was married. I had two, chi two kids were born. And I ran a business. I worked as a teacher. So... One of the things that was really interesting for me when I got out, which was I got out seven years ago, you know, I kind of like looked around me and thought, you know, yeah, like, you know, occasionally I had heard that word cult, you know, while I was in there for those 18 years. But our teacher, the head guy, would occasionally say, yeah, some people think we're in a, we're a cult. But we can't be because people are free to come and go as they want. And it was true. Mm -hmm. People came and left all the time. So when I got out, I'm like looking at, you know, these different models. And I knew that I was in a cultic environment because of what happened to me and my mind and my consciousness and how it shifted when I got out. And I realized that a lot of the techniques that were used in the past have been morphed to just be a little more socially acceptable hmm. and look like they're not cultic. So for example, the, the open door policy, you know, yes, we knew that people could be, you know, members of, of the group or not. And at any, you know, you could say, yeah, I, hey, I'm down, I'm leaving. And it was like, yeah, goodbye, no problem. But there was this underlying 
we knew that everybody who left, either if they didn't come back, they were missing out on the goods big time. Mm -hmm. We also knew there was a lot of talking about each other in between. In fact, a lot of the work in the group I was in was based around dreams. And um, so the head, the head analyst guy would talk about each other's dreams all the time. So there was like, like, and I thought that was kind of cool. You know, like we knew each other, we were an open, you know, we were mm. open books, you know. It's an open book. Um, but that was, you know, another form of manipulation because there was always, you know, he always had these, um, you know, these cards that he could, he would, mm -hmm. could pull out of his back pocket and he would know our vulnerabilities as right. well. Kind of so like collateral in a way, similar to what Nexium, yeah, Nexium had a, maybe more extreme, didn't it? But they had the women of Nexium had the collateral that they were supposed to confess their deepest, darkest secrets. And then Keith Ranieri could pull those out at any point, or they thought he could and, you know, go public with them. And then they'd be shamed and all the rest of it. So they could never talk about it or leave the group. Exactly. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the leader of my group would do, number one, we were heavily invested all of any money that we had in our life went into our properties and yeah, his plow stuff. back into the group. Right. So there was never, you never had your own thing. Also, whenever anybody left, they were always trash talked. Mm -hmm. They yeah. were always. And so a big thing that kept me in was watching people leave and you know, oh, they broke their commitment. They don't, you know, they 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 didn't keep up their end of the bargain. Right. Weren't dedicated enough to stay. Losers. <laughs> Losers. Right. And, and so they were always made to look like weak or bad. And I did not want to be a bad person. Mm -hmm. That was one of the biggest things that kept me locked in. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, something going back to Yanya Lalich, isn't it? That's what she calls that self-sealing system where, yeah, there's no, there's never any good reason to leave. You should, there's no good reason. You should never leave. Why would anyone right. want to leave? And then when they are left, they're made an example of to some various extent or another, that dispensing of existence, you no longer have the right to exist. So we can do whatever we want. We can shun you. We can to various levels, isn't it? Yeah, although, you know, what's interesting, Clint, is in the group that I was in, and, and I um, have come up with the term an everyday cult to describe the group that I was in, it, it actually, there were good reasons to leave. And if it tied in with your inner work, um, that you were, you know, kind of guided to take a break, to focus on something else, like there were, there actually were some really good reasons to leave. And yet there was an overarching, if you left, you weren't really leaving. So you there might was come like, back. yeah, there was like the illusion of leaving. Like I left twice in my group, you know, before, you know, finally snapping out, but, and they were for valid reasons. And I feel like that's part of what has happened. And it's kind of, to me, a really um, concerning aspect of what's happening in the psyche of people today is that, you know, there's this, a system that we buy into that we can, we can believe in, but actually not know it, not know that it's something that we have, you know, dedicated 
our lives to because there's like this overt authoritarian ideals that have been, I think, weakening our capacity for critical thinking, our capacity for discernment. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a teacher. At that point, I was an elementary and high school, you know, a special educator and an elementary school teacher when I first started with this, you know, like I've, you know, college yeah, educated, educated yeah, you know, like how the, how the hell did this happen? But you they know? say cults tend to actually go for more highly educated people, isn't it? That's a common misconception too, yes. that, you know, oh, only dumb people, stupid people would, you know, fall victim to a cult. That's not the case. Again, going back to Nexium, yes. so many of its people were PhDs and master's degrees, and they went after successful, motivated people who had already made a success of themselves in life, just wanted to go to the next level or whatever it was. Yeah. And you know, I had mentioned before you started recording, yeah, the book Snapping. Um, Right. So I got to show you something. Okay. And I know that listeners can't see this, but I'm showing you a copy of this, the book Snapping. And if you look at it, it is like, you know, aged and falling apart. Well, this book sat on my bookshelf the entire time I was in the friggin' cult. The so entire never read time. It? My husband had read it. He was in the same group with me for 16 of the 18 years I was in. Mm. He had read it before I went in. I knew it was on the shelf. You know, maybe I even took it off occasionally, but it was when I got out, it was a, it was a very, you know, the way that um, Conway and Siegelman talk about snapping when you go into a cult, mm-hmm. I very much had the, uh, that experience leaving. Mm. So when I, I left, like literally through this profound awakening process where I was in a meeting, there was a crisis in the organization. And we were able to have one last meeting with the, what was called the executive committee, you know, where, which is supposed to be the decision-making organization of the larger organization. Mm-hmm. Truth is, it wasn't until after I got out that I could see that we didn't make a damn decision. Every decision was made by three tiers that were ahead of this 25 member, 24 member, you know, executive committee. But at any rate, we had this six of the main teachers left all at one time in one day. And the next day we were kind of given the opportunity to have one last, our last scheduled executive committee meeting with those six teachers and this, I mean, this is so true. It's going to sound like a, a tale, but it really is what happened. You're not it making was, it up. <laughs> I'm not making this up. You, okay. you can't make this shit up, right? You can't make this shit up. That's true. <laughs> well, you could, but truth is stranger than fiction. It really oh, is. Right. <laughs> exactly. So true. <laughs> so My like, God. in the last five minutes of that meeting, one person finally said something that changed everything. Hmm. I couldn't understand, like, why were these people leaving? Why are they leaving altogether? Like, we're family, we're, we're, you know, like, how could this possibly be happening? And she described a situation 
of being berated for hours at a time by the head leader. And this was a really gentle souled person. And I knew unequivocally she was telling the truth. And that truth that my, the leader that I had put up on a pedestal could berate her for hours at a time did not jive with what I knew now to be true. So like that experience created the crack. The cognitive dissonance. It was the cognitive, I didn't yeah. know that term, cognitive dissonance. Yeah, it's another one, isn't it? But it was exact, it was cognitive dissonance is what led in, you know, the light, the way, uh, you know, Leonard Cohen's, uh, the crack mm -hmm. that lets in the light, that was my crack. And within, it took, takes me about 45 minutes to drive home from where this meeting was. That was the last five minutes of the meeting. By the time I got home, I was out. Mm. And I stood in my driveway. I write about this in my book. You know, I stood in my driveway and I, I could, I mean, my life, it was a, my life, I was in a completely different reality. And I went inside, woke up my husband and told him, and he was like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> so Welcome he, finally. Huh? Exactly. He's like, finally. You know, it was like two years. And he, his capacity to stay quiet and stay with me was just, I mean, he's a, he's a gorgeous human being. He's a, yeah, it's amazing. Um, it is totally amazing. And without sure. that, we would have absolutely been divorced. If he had pushed me, I would have been left out of there. The group was more important. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, you mentioned Lisa Stephen Hassan's bite model, something he said that when he was being deprogrammed, I guess you could say when he broke his leg, he yeah. had a, an, an accident, broke his leg and his father kind of, I wouldn't say kidnapped him, but deprogrammed him. Yeah. And he said, right. I remember him saying that it was when he saw a clip of Reverend Moon preaching a sermon or, or giving a talk somewhere that he knew was demonstrably false because he, he obviously met moon on many, many occasions. And that was kind of that same moment was when he realized that the man was a liar. Right. And he's like, Oh my God, this guy, I've put him up on a pedestal uncritically for year. Well, two and a half, three years. Right. And that was when the scale sort of fell from his eyes. And it was like, I I've got to get out of this thing. Right. That was, that was Steve Hassan's crap. Yeah. When we return from the break with this conversation with Lisa and Jarrett from igotout.org, we're going to get more into this issue of some of the cult psychology and specifically some of the resources that are available if you are getting out or you've just gotten out of whatever religious background you're coming out of or any sort of high control group. It doesn't actually have to be a religion. You need to rebuild your life. You need to rebuild your identity, reclaim your authentic self. And Jarrett and Lisa are going to give you not only some practical tips as to what sorts of resources are available, 
They're going to show you how you can share your story on the I Got Out website. And Lisa's going to give us some really practical tips on how you can get involved as an activist in this I Got Out movement. And in fact, she sent me just a few hours ago as I'm doing this recording now, Lisa sent me an email and it's got a really good statement about the igotout.org website. I wanted to read it to you. The statement reads as follows. If you have been in any culty, high control group or religion, share your story with the hashtag I Got Out. Share on your own platform or if you need to be anonymous, and or would like support, there are resources at the igotout.org website. When you see a survivor share their story, let them know that they have been heard. This is such a meaningful part of the movement. We all need to know we're not alone. If you know someone who has been harmed by a high demand group, share hashtag igotoutpost you think might help them. Together, it concludes, we can bring awareness to how many of us have been harmed by high control organizations and end the shame or stigma that we might feel about our experiences. Tell your story, impact lives, change the world. Find out more at igotout.org. And that is exactly why I've titled this episode, Tell Your Story and Change the World, because I love that tagline of their website and I love the work that Lisa and Jarrett are doing. And in fact, speaking of these two ladies, we have confirmed that we are going to be having them come in as our guests on the 23rd of May 2021 for our next MindShift Zoom call next month. And in fact, speaking of which, we've got this month on the 25th of April, we've got Fred Clarkson. He's going to be coming in as our guest. He was just on the show a few episodes ago. And so I'm really excited to be welcoming Fred back in this time as our guest how can you get access to these monthly calls that we do? Sometimes we do two calls a month, as well as our patrons-only call, which in fact, as I'm doing this recording, this month's patrons-only call is tonight on the 18th of April. We do these also once a month, usually the first or second weekend of the month. And so access to the calls is available by supporting this show on Patreon. And in fact, speaking of which, I wanted to give a huge thank you to a couple of people Thank you to Rebecca Mon. She actually upped her pledge from $1 a month to $5 a month. So I'm going to be sending her a nice little gift here from North Wales. And then Ava Munson went up from $1 a month to $10 a month. So when she sends me her address, this is a good reminder for Ava to send me her address. And I will send you a nice free MindShift Podcast t-shirt for your support of the show. It's really hugely appreciated. And it helps me meet my monthly expenses to keep the show coming every month. Now, before we get back into the chat with Lisa and Jarrett, I wanted to talk about what's coming up in the next episode here. This one, of course, is another bonus episode. I've got a lot of content in the queue, but the next episode that we're going to drop next Friday is a conversation I had a while ago with Andrew Jasko, and I've been promising this is coming, but it's actually, it is in the pipeline. We talked about healing religious trauma syndrome and PTSD through psychedelics. And in fact, if you want a little bit of a sneak preview, you can head over to the MindShift Podcast Facebook page where I have posted the call that we had with Andrew Jasko last month. We actually had two calls on RTS. We had Thomas Hanna the week before, and then we had Andrew Jasko. We kind of were focusing on religious trauma syndrome last month. And so that call is available. You can watch it. It's a great call with Andrew. It kind of get into a little bit of the psychedelics at the end, but I didn't want to give too much away because this episode had not dropped at that point. So it'll be coming out soon. So look for that one 
with Andrew Jasko. All right, let's get back into the chat with Lisa and Jarrett as we continue to look at this issue of how telling your story about how you got out of whatever high control religion, whatever group or background you came out of, how you can actually change the world. And they're going to offer up practical tips and advice as to how you can get involved and make not just your story, but that of all kinds of other people's heard as well. For sure. It's a it's a profound moment. And I know for a lot of people it can be, you know, much more, much more gradual. You know, when I got for me, when I got out as an educator, I just began, I just dove in to studying cults and cult dynamics and mind control and really the whole process of how we can get there. One of the first how does it happen? And, you know, the work of Dan Siegel was real. Do you know his work? No, I haven't come across it. Yeah, it, that was one of my, I, you know, in addition to Flo Conway and Jim Siegelman, there were two other really important sources for me. And uh, one of them was the book, do you know Thinking Fast and Slow? No, I haven't come Daniel across Gunnaman. it. Oh, no. God, thank you. Now you've got all these books I need to read. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's a big one. Um, it's all about basically how you think and, you know, it goes into, um, you know, a lot of, you know, how to develop critical thinking and why it mm-hmm. is that we're not critical thinkers, that humans are not naturally critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other was Daniel Siegel, Dr. Daniel Siegel, who is a neuroscientist, and his work... I found fascinating because he, he was a trauma, he had focused on trauma, but he also talked about the importance of creating what he calls a coherent narrative. And that that process of when we've gone through a traumatic experience to be able to tell and retell our story so that we actually are creating it and can make sense of you know, the cognitive dissonance moments, you know, mm-hmm. or, or like how we could, you know, be in those, that particular experience. And it was his work that really prompted me to just be so committed to the power of telling one's story. Mm-hmm. That and narrative, I, yeah, it's huge. You know, it? It's huge. Well, and I think too, when you share your story and other people hear it, and they say, my God, I'm not the only one who's going through this. I'm not crazy. Right. This is my, this is telling my story too. It gives language to our own experiences, doesn't it? That's what I found coming out of evangelicalism, kind of fundamentalist Bible cult background that I came out of growing up. You know, I, I thought, I guess I was the only one, <laughs> you know, and I found that, no, that's not the case. Not there are the many, case. many people. And even though you, the two of you come out of a new age kind of background, we have a lot in common, even though I was raised in fundamentalist evangelical Christianity, which on paper shouldn't be, you know, as, it's, as it would seem, Christianity has nothing in common with new age. But yet the cult psychology is what I think ties it together. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And how often do you hear ex-evangelicals say, I got out? Mm-hmm. Do yeah, there's a huge movement. Phrase? Do they use that phrase? That's my question. Oh, it's a question. Um, I thought you were saying it was a statement. It's, it's a funny thing because as, as we knew in evangelicalism, just like you were saying, Lisa, we're not a cult. 
everybody right. else's cults. I can remember I used to be sort of a specialist in apologetics, what they call apologetics, which mm -hmm. is defending the faith, the Christian faith. And I studied, you know, I read books and I was a teacher and everything else. And I remember reading one book by a guy that I was, I really idolized the book called the kingdom of the cults. And it was all about how all the other groups are cults, <laughs> you know, Mormons are cults, Jehovah's Witnesses are cults, New Age is a cult, and Christianity is the truth. We've got the truth. And so we need to make sure they know that, that they're wrong and we're right. And that was what apologetics was, you know, from that point of view. It was only when I admitted to myself that I had been raised in a cult, <laughs> you know, kind of like your moments of that, the cracks and light coming yeah. through. It was like, oh my God, I, I'm, I've got to go on this whole journey of now, like you did, Jurette, reading and talking to people. And I read Robert Lifton's Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. That was a big breakthrough Oof. moment for me because I applied what he talked about in brainwashing and cult psychology to my own experience. And that's when I saw, wow, I was raised in a cult. Wow. That's an amazing, his work is so, it's so pivotal. It really in, is. Well, in the history of understanding. Yeah, yeah, one of the first really wasn't it studying, you know, Korean prisoners of war or war war prisoners from the Korean War and how they'd been brainwashed. Here's all these American politicians and generals and everybody, you know, freaking out because they're thinking, wait a minute, they could do that to Americans. They could do that to anybody. Yeah. And yet the cults have taken those principles, as you were saying earlier, Lisa, I mean, that's one of the things I think a lot of people may not understand is that cult leaders and cult groups are actually studying the literature too. They're yes. getting more and more sophisticated. I just finished reading Stephen Hassan's The Cult of Trump, and he goes mm -hmm. into a lot more stuff other than just the Trump phenomenon. Uh, obviously, I don't know if you've read it, but oh, yeah. he talks about how groups now can recruit using, you know, YouTube and social media. You don't have to even be in the same physical location. They could be in a completely different country and you could still find yourself in a group with undue influence or a cultic group by social media or the Internet. Totally. Have you uh, have you heard of the podcast The Gateway? I haven't. No. So I finished listening to that last week. It's like a six-part series about an Instagram influencer named Teal Swan. Mm -hmm. You heard that name? I've heard of that name, yes. Yeah, it was pretty riveting. <laughs> I was wow, pretty blown amazing. away. But yeah, I mean, she's accumulating all these people following her through her Instagram feed and her YouTubes. It's pretty dangerous mm -hmm. stuff. Well, we've think, seen it with QAnon as well. Well, exactly. And that was what I was going to say with QAnon, you know, and Jarette talked about her getting out and that snap, that thing. Mm -hmm. QAnon and the collision of the pandemic and the anti-vaxxers and all of this stuff. What happened last year, this time of year, is my daughter, who I raised in the group that I was in, she left right before her 18th birthday. And I stayed for like 10 years after that. Our relationship has been extremely challenged. And, you know, we've gone along and, and we've tried to have a relationship based basically on my taking care of the kids, her two children, but uh, in supporting her, she's navigated some life changes. But the thing that 
kind of brought me into doing this work with I Got Out was her divergence from being able to kind of be on the same page with COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. There was that. And then all of a sudden she's sending me QAnon stuff. And then our relationship basically deteriorated after that. Mm. And so she got into QAnon then? Yes. Wow. Yeah. She's and still into know. it? I, I don't know. We haven't talked. <laughs> right. That's just falling <laughs> out, it. unfortunately. Yeah. We, we have not had a conversation uh, really much of anything for almost a year now. That situation coupled with my watching The Vow, like I said, when I got out, I didn't want to have anything to do with cults. I was done. I wanted to make a new life. But losing my daughter again to a cult and then seeing the vow really brought home how important this work is. And, you know, like we talked about my not having a skill set, so to speak, you know, a career. Mm -hmm. I've got plenty of skills. skills. Marketable skills. I'm I'm sharp. I can learn. I'm learning. I can learn. But yeah, just all of a sudden I was like, you know what? something's got to happen. And I don't want the 19 year old me of yesterday to get trapped into any kind of situation like this ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Education is hugely important, isn't it? We've all kind of gone down that route. It sounds like absolutely. reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to other cult survivors. That is hugely important. I think yep. one of the biggest pieces, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, and it's the stories, Clint. I mean, mm-hmm. really, yeah. people learn from each other. And the situation that I describe as my cult of this tight-knit group of people isn't the same as, as somebody like, you know, Sarah, who is in Nexium, where it's this huge, mm-hmm. you know, company. 15,000 um, people. Yeah, massive. courses, yeah. Which right. is nothing compared to some of the huge, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons in the millions, evangelicalism is billions of people all over the world. So, yeah, but everybody's it can be small being, or large. Everybody is, is experiencing a lot of the same harm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The end result can be the same. I mean, I do a lot of stuff on religious trauma syndrome, which is another whole piece as well. You mm. probably experienced some form of RTS in your Absolutely. groups, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's another whole piece. You're not only traumatized and that's what Dr. Marlene Winnell says. You're not only traumatized while you're in the group because of the abuses of various kinds that we may have suffered, but then on the back end, when you leave the group, then you've got to recover and go through all the trauma and the, perhaps the shunning and you losing family members, losing relationships, being cut off and having no marketable skills. Like in your case, Lisa, and you've got to start all over. That's all part of religious trauma syndrome. Because of the groups that we were in, we you know invested so much time, money, energy. Our my whole adult life was invested in you know evangelicalism. Yeah, and you know what? Layer onto all of that, you know the 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 shame, the natural shame reaction that we have when we when we kind of wake up to the fact that ooh, that which I had devoted so much of my life to mm-hmm. is actually not trustworthy not good actually harmful yeah it's hurting people 
you know, I would have to say that it was like that realization, if you think of that as like energy, you know, that we're suppressing so much of our kind of life potential. Yeah, right. well, our authentic by, self, for sure. Yeah, it? by keeping it you quiet. You have to suppress that. Yeah, and that for me is what fueled my desire for I got out. You mm -hmm. know, like when I saw what was happening with the Me Too movement, when women were telling their stories, they were saying, this is what happened to me. And that it actually is something that has created some social change. I had a very, a couple of years ago, I had a very wimpy um, attempt at trying to get a hashtag movement going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing happened because I'm a nobody. And <laughs> you don't have 50,000 followers? No, and I didn't know <laughs> what to do. I had not a clue. We just got and, dread on Instagram like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> All right. So bad. That's a start. You're going to go viral soon, Jurette. Yeah. You're going to blow yeah. up the internet. You'll break the internet. Oh, it's going to happen, right? Oh, yeah. Especially off the back of this podcast, man. It's going to be huge. Yeah. yeah. But it was really Lisa, you know, the way that we came together. Lisa, I'm wondering if you want to tell that story. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to hear the story of the I Got Out website yeah. for sure in the last little Clark. segment here. Right. So uh, after seeing The Vow, I started talking to Sarah Edmondson through Instagram and then email. And within just a few days, I, my, my, my mind was blown with, with The Vow. Yeah, and, I've seen it. You know, there were just so many similarities between her group and mine. Only mine was a small scale. Within a few days of, you know, short communications with Sarah, she was always very encouraging when I was sharing my big dreams of what we could do. I bought the domain, igotout.org, and then saw, I followed Stephen Hassan on Twitter and saw him using the hashtag, I got out. Mm -hmm. Can I interject right there? Sure. sure. That moment? Because what Lisa didn't know then is that out on the East Coast, a, a buddy of mine named Mark Laxer and Steve Hassan had started talking about creating a hashtag movement, mm. you know, to help people, you know, to destigmatize, you know, cultic involvement and so, and we were tossing around all different ideas of, you know, it could be hashtag hoodwinked or hashtag mm. whatever. Got to be something but, clever. Yeah. But then when his, Steve Hassan's assistant sent an email, how about hashtag I got out? And it was like, within seconds, everybody emailed back. Yes, that's it. That's perfect. So it was perfect. And he started using it. And Even right away, saw it. Yeah. Right, right away, he started using it, and I saw him using it, and I was like, "Oh well, I can't wait for Sarah to give me an introduction to Steve Hassan. I'm just going to have to call his office myself." Mm -hmm. And so I did, and I talked to his assistant, and I told her I had the domain I got out.org. These are my plans for it. This is what I'm thinking. She says, 
will you please write that down in an email? Because Steve is meeting with these two other people in a couple hours and I'll make sure he sees it before his mm -hmm. meeting. So I wrote down all of my plans and ideas and went to go make lunch, sat down at the table, checked my phone, and Steve had sent an invitation to this meeting with him and Jarrett and Mark. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was, was fast. Five days. <laughs> yeah. Five days before the sentencing of Keith Ranieri. Mm -hmm. So we got off that call and I got to work making the first <laughs> I got out.org website yeah. because uh, I wanted it to be there for his sentencing. And then we were going to tell the world about I got out. Mm -hmm. I got out. Yeah. It's going to blow up. Yeah. Well, it's not quite done that, but we're plugging along and more and more people are using it. I'm seeing the hashtag being picked up on Twitter from lots of random people mm -hmm. starting to talk to podcasters like yourself that are going to start spreading the word about the hashtag. And that was why I asked you a little bit ago, you know, when you talk to people, do people use that phrase? I yeah. got out of, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've never heard people say that about evangelicalism. And perhaps I would say it's because it's not a monolithic movement. It's not a single group. It's not like it's a cult group like Nexium or Scientology or FLDS or something like that. It's yeah. so big and it's so It's obviously global. Everyone's experience is different, you know? So it's, it's a case, I think, for a lot of ex-evangelicals like myself. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't have a single moment like you've both described where I, it snapped and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a cult. I got to get out. It was a long process of deconstructing. It took, mm. you know, many, many years of finally realizing I didn't believe the theology anymore. And that was a big problem because I was still teaching at a Bible college, you know, whoops, we got an issue oh. here. You know, I was questioning the dogma and the students that I had were going, are you a Christian? Because it doesn't sound like it. You don't sound like you're convinced anymore that this is true. And that's, you know, those kind of things would happen. And I'd walk away and think, okay, where am I at with this thing? Because I'm, I'm going to be in trouble here at some point. Someone's going to say, you can't teach anymore because clearly you don't believe this stuff. And you really need to believe it if you're going to be a teacher at a Bible college, right? In theory, or be a really good actor. It, it's interesting because in and I think mine and Tourette's experience, whenever we talk to anybody that was in a group, a cult, they yeah, always use different. those three words. I got out. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like escaping from something because in mm -hmm. my case, I'd left the church. I wasn't going to church anymore. I just walked away from all that, but I was still teaching, you know, so it was a long, like I said, long process of several years later after we left the church that I finally said, I don't ever want to go back to ch any church. And in fact, when I saw the uh, evangelical support for Trump in 2016, that was when I said, this is a clear breaking point. I no longer want to be associated with Christianity. I don't want to call myself a Christian. I am now clearly no longer a Christian and, and that, that was a big moment for a lot of evangelicals at that point. I, I know for sure. I've heard that a lot. That's really interesting. And I appreciate your describing the difference because a lot of the people that are uh, following 
I got out on Instagram are deconstructionists. Mm -hmm. And just that the way you clarified that just now of how it is a slower process and it's more of an ideology rather than a group. It really is. I've I've written papers on this issue of is evangelicalism a cult? And I have to step back and say, it can't be a cult because it's, it's not a monolith. It's too big. There's not a single leader like a Keith Raniere or a, an an L Ron Hubbard or someone like that. It's a worldwide movement, but at the same time, many, many churches can be cult like or be cults where you have obviously a dynamic pastor type figure who's who fits the classic cult leader model so an individual church can absolutely be a cult that people need to escape and they may be saying yeah i got out which is interesting isn't it because the point of the website isn't it where you can go on and anonymously share your story whatever that story might be of how you got out isn't that the whole kind of aim of the site Well, it is. And we wanted to give people like myself who do want to be anonymous a way to have a voice. The other purpose of the website is basically to define what I got out, hashtag I got out is about, and give an example of how you might be able to tell your story. Ideally, if the movement goes where I want it to, it'll get away with me, get away from me. And mm-hmm. I got out will be everybody's just like hashtag me too was. Right. Hopefully when it blows up. Yeah. So yeah. just as we're kind of wrapping it up. So how do people find this site? I think we might've mentioned the website address. If you want to go on the site and share your story, how do they get there? How do they find it? Yeah. it's And I also would love to, if it's okay, is to share the mission statement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, IGOTOUT.ORG, the mission is healing, education, and prevention. Those, those three concepts are, are our overarching um, mm-hmm. credo. Right, Maybe values. I should use that word, value. Yeah. Core value sounds better. Core value, thanks. <laughs> there you go. That works. I did, you know, I was born Catholic. I do not identify as a Christian today, but sometimes things slip out. Um, well, it's yeah, baked in, isn't it? Yeah, you know that phenomenon a little. Oh, huh? absolutely. <laughs> okay, the sole mission of hashtag I got out is to inspire survivors of cultic abuse to tell and share their stories, creating an online community dedicated to unflinching honesty. We believe this simple but profound act is a catalyst for personal healing, as well as community education and prevention that corrects the many systemic misperceptions of cultic involvement. We also believe the collective potential of all of our stories will help steer society into a new day where abuse of power is not tolerated. We tell our stories, and we change the world. That's a great tagline at the end, isn't it? Yeah. You can change, you can though literally change the world by telling your story, no matter how you don't have any Twitter followers, you're not as big as Stephen Hassan or someone else like that. But man, that's a huge statement, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, I want and it's every one of us. Mm-hmm. I, I want to also give just some pointers about how to become an activist in the movement. 
because a lot of us that were in cults, you know, we we're not tech savvy. We don't really understand how all this stuff works. So just a few things that everybody can do is follow. If you're on Instagram, get on Instagram, follow hashtags, hashtag I got out being one of them, but uh, you can also find community in hashtag exvangelical, hashtag exmoonies, hashtag mm. Ex-cult. Ex-cult. And start to pay attention to people's stories. Connect, follow people that are starting to tell their stories. Comment on their stories. Engage with people. Start these conversations. So connect. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing that you can do is repost people's content to amplify people's stories You can do this through the stories function on Instagram, on Twitter. You have the capability to retweet Mm -hmm. and always use that hashtag, hashtag I got out when you communicate because that ups the algorithm for the hashtag. Mm -hmm. Use it in your comment. And the other thing that's super important and, and what I've seen and how I've connected with people is... When somebody tells their story, they're pouring their heart out to nobody on the internet unless Mm. they are acknowledged. So seeing them, let people know that you saw them, you heard Mm. their story. I get you. Mm. Hashtag I see you. Yeah, you're validated then, aren't you? Validate people because that's how we can grow this. Mm-hmm. And when you validate somebody else's story, it gives somebody permission to A, tell more, B, it might crack them open to being able to tell their story too. Mm-hmm. And the act of telling your story and being heard is incredibly healing. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? That validation piece is absolutely massive, isn't it? Well, and I was going to say too, my good friend, Janice Selby, she's hosting the conference on religious trauma coming up very soon. Exactly. And we're going to be, me and some friends are going to be on a panel. We're not the main headliners. I think Dr. Marlene Winnell's got a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, things to say about RTS, but you know, I'm, I'm excited to be a tiny little part of it, but yeah, you get involved in those kind of communities. You can join Facebook groups. You can do a lot of things, just like you said, in terms of social media, you may not be an activist per se, but you you can get involved. I love what you said, Lisa. It's just real practical, simple things, but yet you can get involved, can't you? Right. Exactly. And if you are, I mean, that the conference on religious trauma is something that is really exciting to me too. And I, mm-hmm. um, my, unfortunately, my the timing is such that my book is coming out right at that time, and it's. I'm not going to be able to make it, but it can also be intimidating to tell your stories. So Mm -hmm. we do, and I got out, we do offer an option for people who would like a little extra support. And that is a free uh, kind of a one-time writing class Mm. that you can come to what's called Writing to Reckon. And it's a class that I facilitate with just a small group of people. And we just help guide you through the process of writing your own personal I got out statement. And so it's a way of kind of creating a little bit more safety. It's, it's totally confidential, small group. And we you know just focus on that process of actually writing 
our own statement. Um, so that's another option for people who would like mm -hmm. a it's little a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful class. I've attended it mm -hmm. a couple times and it, is, it can be very cathartic and at the same time, it's so supportive. So even just yeah, getting the help to be able to put your story together, you're even offering that element of it as well. If you're saying, I don't even know if I can articulate my story. Well, let's help you do that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love the fact that you're offering such practical, simple tips, but ways for people to get involved. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. So head over to igotout.org if you're interested in sharing your story or just reading other people's stories. I've read some of the stories on that. It's just incredibly powerful what I've read on there. So yes, it's a great site. So thank you so much. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and kind of bring people up to speed. Uh, let's hope that this I got out hashtag does blow up. Let's hope it comes. Yeah. Let's go viral. <laughs> let's go viral, babe. There you go. Thank you so much, ladies. I've absolutely loved talking to you and meeting you both. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Real, real pleasure. Delight to be with you today. Absolutely. Thanks, Clint.